podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Seventh heaven, etc. Yes, we are coming to you live the day after Liverpool won 7-1 at Ibrox. Uh, quite remarkable turnaround after, I would say, one of the worst halves of football we've played this season, which is quite an achievement in itself, given how bad we've been. But that second half, while still not at our best level or even close to it, was at least, I hope, a sign that there's a bit of life coming back into this team. And as I said to Trev and Harry last night on Raw, Carl, this idea of maybe not employing Mo Salah as the most expensive linesman in Europe and playing him in central areas might just have something about it. Yes, just a bit. Uh, we touched on it briefly before Rangers in the in the Scouter podcast, and I uh, I don't know. I, I don't really understand how. And all right, you can have a plan for him, and you think maybe make him a little bit effective in different ways can make the team better overall. That's fine, but obviously, you know, three or four games into the season, we could already see that it was to the detriment of one of our most dangerous players. And then to change shape and remove him even further from that, I just thought was weird, to be honest, just plain weird. Uh, it's not the same role. And so you put him in a place where he has habitually thrived and with another person alongside him who is obviously playing equally well. I don't really think it's a surprise that we saw what we did. Now, obviously, and I'm sure you guys did, it's tempered by the fact that it was Rangers, it was late in the game, he yes. came on a sub and everything else. That's fine. Also, I don't really think it's the point. The point is that Salah is like the best shooter and finisher that we have in the team, and you put him in an area where he can actually do that, and things happen. Yeah, and if we are going to stick with more of a a front two, uh, then having Salah, Firmino, Jota, and obviously Darwin, that's four great options to have up front. Luis Diaz will be back after the World Cup, so we will have him back this season. He's a great option on the left, obviously. That's his primary position. And he's more comfortable as an out-and-out left winger than that inside forward role, because that's what he's primarily played for most of his career. Jota can do a job there. Carvalho, I thought, had a good second half in that role yesterday. Now, it does raise one question about the right-sided role, and obviously Harvey Elliott played there last night. We are maybe lacking in that position. Harvey had, again, like Carvalho, a very good second half, a bit of an iffy first half when he and Carvalho didn't seem to know what the role was, and it seemed to get explained to them at half time, and they were a lot better. But, Carl, I, th- 
I thought Joe Gomez had an excellent game after the first 20, 25 minutes. I thought he really settled in and put Ryan Kent in his pocket. And I thought he did really well after a shaky first few minutes against Arsenal. And if Joe Gomez can make the right-back position his own, why wouldn't we just move Trent further forward and use him on the right side of midfield? He'd be playing in similar areas to where he's played anyway, tucking in as part of a midfield three, getting high and wide to deliver the ball, and you just have that solidity behind him of Joe Gomez. And with Trent's delivery, Mo, Darwin, Jota, Bobby, and Diaz coming in at the back post would have the time of their lives. And then obviously, Robbo back fit as well. That, to me, looks like A, more of a solid team, having Gomez and Robbo as the fullbacks and Ibu and Virgil as the centre-backs, and B, more of a balanced team where Mo is getting to play in the areas he can really influence the game. So is Trent. So is Diaz. You've got Thiago and Fabinho as a double pivot. I, I, I just... I look at that and I think that's probably our best 11 when everybody's back fit. Yeah, I I definitely think that there's a case for that to be made. Um, Partly, obviously, it's going to be about still about where people are off the ball and centrally, no matter who plays in the wide areas, I think the wide uh, positions in this system might actually be tactically the most important between the two on and off the ball. Um, But the central midfield is still the area at the moment where I think the biggest improvements are needed let's say from a defensive perspective but let's assume that you know the more we play the more the training that is going to naturally improve in in small steps and hopefully a few individuals find better form as well the right side i think is probably the most interesting one because at the minute we've got the guy who we don't really want there we want him in attack whether it's in attack in a 4-3-3 playing as a forward or in a 4-4-2 playing as one of the attackers that still leaves that right side a little bit open and I actually went down a bit of a rabbit hole thinking last night while you guys were recording Raw about you know there's still all the thing about Jude Bellingham's our number one target and midfield he doesn't really fit exactly in this midfield at the moment Um, I think it would probably be because maybe but he has played the right side of role for them for for Dortmund and previously of course so it's not exactly where you would want to spend all that money and put him but it could feasibly happen I suppose so in the meantime I wouldn't be against Trent being there. Certainly, you'd get the delivery and the build-up play, uh, and he already has that high starting position. Um, less sure about as a sort of counter-attacking outlet. He's, he's not. He's very, very much on the front foot all the time. But I'm not sure about how quickly you would get him into you know the 60, 70 yards upfield like the the wide forwards would used to have done, for example, like Diaz. We'd see go from the penalty box corner of ours right into the six yard box of theirs in about five seconds I don't think Trent's quite in that regard but given the alternatives it's only Jota who can beat him in that regard you know it's not going to be the same if it's Henderson for example playing that role so there's definitely an at least we've got the option to do it I think is the important thing there obviously there's going to have to be a little bit of management over Gomez just ongoing anyway but also Mm. because he's just back Uh, so we may have to see him in the centre as well at the minute while Matip is out because Otherwise, we're back down to Nat Phillips going in centre-back, and I don't think you want that at the very least. Oh, I have a surprise for you later. You just wait. You just <laughs> wait. Um, on, on the notion of 11s, I think it's important that we pause here 
and take a moment to wish our best to Alan Hutton, who has clearly fallen down and hit his head really hard. Alan Hutton, before yesterday's game, picked a combined 11 of Rangers and Liverpool. And I'm going to read this out to you, and I want your reaction. He's picked Alan McGregor in goal over Allison. You he's can gone. He's gone wrong straight away. I think I think it's fair to say he's gone wrong straight away. Um, he's picked Matip and Virgil as the centre backs, um, despite the fact that Matip is injured, which means he didn't factor in injuries here. So he picked Tavanier not over Gomez but over Trent. Uh, he picked Barisic not over Costas, but over Robbo. Um, he's gone Salah on the right. He's gone Ryan Kent on the left. Um, he's gone Morales and Cholik up front. He's picked Thiago. Now, there's so much wrong with what I've just said. There's so much no in what he's just done. But I'm telling you here and now, the most flagrant abuse of this is he's put Henderson in as the other double pivot. And I'm sorry, we won 7-1 last night. He was dreadful. He was dreadful. In a game that we coasted through, his first half display was absolutely shocking. He was the worst player on the pitch in that first half. From not tracking Scott Arfield, not even being aware of Scott Arfield's presence, his passing was poor. His decision-making was poor. And then in the second half, there was the air shot and then some absolutely bizarre passing choices before he was taken off. He had an absolute shocker last night against Rangers, who are awful, and we were walloping them in the second half and he was still struggling. Um, that I, I am joking, saying that's the worst pick of the lot. The worst pick of the lot being Alan McGregor over Alison Becker. Jesus Christ. This man was paid money for this, Carl. This man was paid money to play football as well for a while, so, you know, not a lot has changed there. Uh, um, God, um, I, I don't know. It might be my favourite bit. It might actually be Ryan Kent, who Liverpool sold because he couldn't get in the actual team, is now somehow in the combined team of two different mm. teams. So there's that. Uh, there's the, obviously, two-pronged Rangers front line, which had scored zero goals in the Champions League when he actually did this combined 11 team. Um, impressive. Uh, take your pick of the rest of it. I think the goalkeeper is a good place to start and finish it, though. The fact that there are any of them in there, let's be perfectly honest, is an abomination. What's What's very funny to me is that Alan Hutton um, retired from the game of professional football eight years ago. He's still only 37. So at 30, people were like, get out. <laughs> We've had enough of you. Um, this man was a mediocre footballer. Uh, he did have a spell with Mallorca. He might have played a bit longer than that. I, I, I don't really remember the end of his career. Oh, he had a bit of a renaissance with Villa in the championship, didn't he? He found his level late in his career. He found his level in the championship. Um, why, why is it that if you're a former footballer, regardless of how good you are as a player, you're paid substantial amounts of money to discuss a game that you yourself struggled with? Well, I mean, do we have to limit it to the people who you yourself struggled with? Because, I mean, 
We've had our own manager speaking about Didier Man recently, haven't we? Oh, that was beautiful. He didn't, he didn't struggle with playing the game very much, but um, it does seem to be does seem to be <laughs> one of several who, who struggles who struggles uh, speaking about it now. Let's see. Ah, Didi is an absolute. I don't know of a Liverpool player now. Souness is different because you know he was the manager, and there was the thing with the the newspaper that shall not be named. But I'm struggling to think of a Liverpool player who was as beloved when he was a Liverpool player, who's now so disdained as a former player. He he has done irreparable damage to his reputation among the Liverpool fan base. I know a lot of people kind of disliked Laurel, but I think everybody just looked at him as a, a bit of a gobshite. People actively dislike Didi Haman because of how he carries himself now and the way he prattles on about utter nonsense. Yeah, I, I mean, it's absolutely not limited to former Liverpool players. We can say that there's a, a whole universe of former players out there who have, let's say, questionable um, opinions, questionable conclusions, and some people who have neither opinions nor conclusions yet still feel the absolute need to speak about things and just speak words and say things that either do not make sense or are in direct contradiction to what they've said, like literally a day beforehand. A big hello here to Chris Sutton and Jamie O'Hara. Yeah, I'd like to... um to offer my commiserations to Danny Mills, who for a long time stood above the rest as just the worst pundit going. Danny Murphy was like a solid second, but Danny Mills was running away from the field. But Jamie O'Hara and now Alan Hutton may well both have passed Danny Mills. And I've never heard Alan Hutton speak about the game, but this alone is a shocker. And every time Jamie O'Hara speaks, I just have to put it on mute because nothing good ever comes. Jason Cundy is up there as well, we should say. Uh, Jason Cundy is a particularly stupid man. Um, But Jamie O'Hara, like, I understand why TalkSport put Cundy and O'Hara together. It's because when you get enough mind-numbingly stupid quotes... You can put out a clip on social media and you'll get lots of clicks. But Jesus, Webb, this can't be the standard of coverage of arguably the strongest league. No, I don't even think it's arguably more. This is the strongest league in the world now. The Liga has fallen a bit because of financial issues. It's only really Real that you'd worry about now. The Bundesliga is a one-team league. Serie A is obviously not close to the level it once was. League uh, League On is a is a, a one team league with the odd aberration. This is the best league in the world, and this is the type of coverage that it gets. Mills, O'Hara, Chris Sutton, like you said. Now I don't mind Chris Sutton as much because he does love him some Virgil, but Jesus Christ, surely we can do better. Surely there's enough intelligent former players who aren't doing anything that could be drafted into a radio studio somewhere near you and, and you know, give some actual insight in the game. Give some real analysis of the game. Yeah, I think it's uh, taken, you know, 
give you, let's say, a while to catch up to where it should be or is getting towards where it needs to be. So perhaps the uh, digital area, let's say, of the of the same thing is going to be a few more years behind that. But we'll see. It, sometimes we see things from other countries, like you'll get a Germany clip or a, a Spain clip, or they'll be discussing stuff from elsewhere and the people will say oh why can't we have this in england someone will try to do it but then you also sort of ignore the fact that also on spanish tv is and all the rest of them who are just as clownish as the others that we have on so it is the same everywhere we just have to try and filter it out unfortunately it's a shame um i think i think sky are pretty close to to nailing the rotation i wouldn't be a fan of red nap but Carragher's good at what he does. Not as good as people make him out to be, but he's good at what he does. Neville, the same. Keane and Souness, they, they're not for everybody, but they're they're very good at cutting through all the bullshit. I think Mick Richards, I, I, I think Mick Richards doesn't know much about football, but he, he's a great personality. And I think he adds something with his personality. These dour Muppets on TalkSport, they don't have the personality to go with the shit views. I, I do think that the important thing is that you know, obviously different people watch football in different ways and you do have to try and cater to everybody. And that means that when they have like three in the studio or three commentators or, you know, one commentator and two colours, for example, you do have to try and match up different types of people. Like you can have a really, really insightful one, but you don't only want two really analytical pieces or people speaking. Otherwise it can get quite dull for people who just want the entertainment of football and not insight. So it is definitely a, a mix that you need on board there, a real personality type, a real... Um, you know, a, a very enthusiastic footballing person can sometimes be just as good as someone who knows every single little detail of the game. I mean, I use Ali McCoyce as a really good example of that. He's not necessarily always the most insightful, but he's really good to listen to. And if you've got yeah, he's bubbly, you know, someone yeah, if you've got someone who works well with him, who maybe brings other stuff of, of the more insights uh, for the game, perhaps for example, then that's a really good combination. I think. I think I think BT are still a long way away from having like McManaman's awful. I think Rio Ferdinand is absolutely atrocious. Owen is a personality void. I, I do like Ali, I'm not like, like because what you said. I think he's just he's a good listen. He's not the most insightful, but he's a bubbly personality, and he he can connect with a crowd. I, I think they've got work to do. Now, obviously, they can't can sort of go and get themselves Neville or Carragher at the minute, but there's got to be others out there. There's players retiring all the time who I think could make quite good uh, quite good analysts. And there's guys that are, are working as, as commentators and analysts for other outlets. Like, I think Lee Dixon's quite decent. Um, I think he's got a decent understanding of the game. I think he, he puts his points across well. He, he's not the most exciting person in the world, but I think I think he's solid. Um, BT, for me, should be going and getting someone like him to be the co-commentator rather than a McManaman. <coughs> anyway, we've gotten sidetracked. That's my fault, as always. Um, Liverpool have another game this weekend, and it is a game against Manchester City. Now, City come into this game uh, in terms of league form looking... Quite terrifying. Uh, they hammered Southampton. They hammered United. It probably could have been 10 if they hadn't decided to take it easy on them. They hammered Wolves. Uh, in the Champions League, they had a bit of a disappointing result in the week. 
uh, a draw in Copenhagen, but it was sort of meaningless. They'd hammered them before. They've also hammered Sevilla in that group. Uh, this team, Carl, are ferocious going forward. Yeah, it's not a game that any opponent is going to be looking forward to at all at the minute, is it? I mean, I know people, players and all that kind of thing, they always say, oh, you want to play against the top players. Yeah, but you kind of want to play them when they're not quite at their peak as well. So at the moment, City are horrifying, looking to be pissed about it. Um, nothing about playing them looks fun. They still have all the ball circulation and the repetitive um, play patterns and everything that they've had for the last couple of years but then in addition they've got like two extra bits this year and one is that De Bruyne looks as fit as I've probably seen him in about four years and the other is this big massive cyborg in attack that they have yeah uh, I don't know I I don't know who said this to me it might have been you Um, Erling Haaland has 15 goals in the league this season uh, there are 12 teams in the league that he alone has scored more goals than, which it's absolutely ridiculous. He's got 20 goals in all competitions, and that is in just 13 matches, uh, 15 in nine in the Premier League. Um, I can fully get on board with a petition to have him deported on the grounds that he's not actually a human being. But key to most of his goals is key to is key to this city team it's kevin de bruyne this guy remains just the most special playmaker we have in modern football he's unreal absolutely unreal he's he's a lot more central a lot more of the time this year um so far it has not been so much you will still see him like go out into the right channel and try to cross and all that kind of stuff but mostly i think he's he's restricting a lot more movement centrally um certainly in general circulation and build-up play, you're, you're much more likely to see him sort of ahead of Gundogan, for example, Rodri. Um, he's getting himself into shooting areas, but then still having people to pass to ahead of him. It's ridiculously tough to stop Haaland's movement in the final third, obviously, not just because of his size, but because he's really clever and he's very, very good at picking out the timing of his runs and everything else. And De Bruyne is just like, I don't know, what would you say, maybe top three in the world have just taken one touch to get out of the feet and then putting the ball exactly where you want it. There are not many yeah. who can do it like him. I mean, Trent is of the same quality, but of a, a lesser consistency in doing so. De Bruyne, I think, is maybe Tony Cruz. Not too many others can match them for doing exactly what they want as consistently as they want. And it's a very, very difficult thing to stop. And they do have, uh, as we briefly touched upon in, uh, before they the Rangers game as well, wide forwards who are in varying degrees of form, but being very, very effective all the same at the minute. I mean, Foden's in outrageous form again. When you try to stop the Bruyne, it's a simple pass out to the right-hand side, and maybe Foden's there, and he's playing really well, and you've still got to keep an eye on Haaland, and you've got to do all the rest of the stuff. It's just so, so hard to stop this City team at the minute. Couple it is. Once... <laughs> they did, they did, but, but City had to play with 10 men for 65 minutes. And Camille Grabera had to have the game of his life. And Riyad Mahrez had to take a penalty mm. when the game was tied and City weren't two goals ahead, uh, which is the only time Riyad Mahrez actually scores. Um, there, There's a lot of, of threat in this City team. And like we said, I mean, De Bruyne is the hub of it all, but 
if he's having a, an, an off day or he can't get where he wants to go, he can shift it to one side and you've got Phil Foden in, in like you said, amazing form at the minute, just absolutely terrorising defences. He can shift it the other side and you've got Bernardo Silva potentially. And he, as we know, is is one of the best players in the league. Uh, you've also got the, the Zhao Canseo threat coming from fullback, which is in itself uh, something you have to concern yourself with for 90 minutes. Like having all of that creativity and ability to deliver top quality service as all four of those can. And you've also got Ilkay Gundogan, who is just one of the most underrated players in the world. Um, having all of that service, it's it's little wonder that Haaland is getting as many chances as he is. And he's getting chances exactly where he wants them. Like, we've seen with Darwin this season, he's getting a lot of half chances and, and they're just like, the ball just isn't quite where he needs it. With Haaland, the ball is where he wants it almost every single time regardless of which outlet it's coming from, because City are just so fine-tuned into this. It's almost like they've been building towards Haaland for the last couple of years, putting balls into certain spaces. And, you know, Raheem was getting goals and Aguero was getting goals and Gabriel Jesus was getting goals and Ferran Torres was getting goals. And when you add in this cyborg, he just gets a lot more goals than they do because he's big and he's physical and he's lightning quick and he's just freakish. But, I mean, all he needs to do is is get into the right positions and the ball will find him. Yeah, it's it's crazy at the moment. Like I say, his movement is so tough to stop. He, he often find like a, a forward will attach themselves to one centre-back and try and bully them all game long. But this guy is absolutely happy to go against anybody because he's got speed, because he's got strength, because he's massive upper body, because he's tall, because he can go on the inside or outside or take them on, lay it off, or do whatever he wants, basically. So you will often see him literally go and stand on one of the centre-backs when there's, let's say, a dead ball situation, a goal kick or something like that. And after that first pass is made, he will immediately go and stand on the other one and probably take up a position in between the two. And so neither of them are really sure where to be or to, it's just very very difficult he's really intelligent with his movement i'm furious that we didn't get him by the way in case you didn't notice that um darwin and actually it's obviously we're not trying to directly compare the two because anybody who has watched the two knows that there's a big difference of where they are at the moment but in terms of the numbers when you actually look at a little bit misleading shots per game at the moment because Darwin has played, obviously, much, much fewer minutes uh, in the Premier League than, than Haaland has. He's about sort of 60, something like that. So Haaland will be like three times as many minutes as him at the minute. But the shots, from where they take them, Haaland has the most shots in the Premier League, obviously. But where they take them from, both of them have around the same shots per game in the six-yard box. And they also have more or less in the same uh, ballpark within the penalty area. And then there's a few more from outside the box for Darwin. But then when you actually break it down into the per 90, most of Darwin's chances are actually coming in the six-yard box itself. So he's getting a bit better now, or, or we're getting a bit better maybe at producing the service in those areas that you're talking about. Um, it's still a little bit skewed because it's a, a limited number of Premier League minutes. But if he can maintain at least the same number of shots from within the penalty area, for example, that's a really, really big thing for Liverpool. Because for a long time, we had a very set way of 
playing in attack and scoring goals, which has largely disappeared this season. Um, whereas Man City obviously can see that they've carried on playing the same way and added someone who was going to be in those positions that they didn't really have so much of after Aguero, let's say. So it's a very big thing for us if we can carry on doing it and if he carries on playing more minutes as we go along. Um, and I'll get your thoughts on whether you think he should actually start this game maybe next, but we're getting there, I would say, with Nunez. At the moment, it's a really positive thing for him that he is... I suppose it's confidence, but it's also like um, a little bit absolutely determined to get the shots away however he can, that he's really happy to take the shots on the run first time or maybe second touch. That's a big thing at the minute because otherwise Darren wouldn't have probably half the number of shots that he has. Like Quite a lot of the time, if you see someone running off the uh, defender's shoulder, you'll see them either take a touch or look for a cutback or something like that, and he is hitting them from any angle at all. So it's not always the greatest... It's not always the greatest probability of scoring the actual shots, but he's still taking them on. So then when you do get him in much better areas, like his goal against Arsenal last week, he's still going to be taking that on, and it's obviously a high percentage chance that it's going to end up in the back of the net. Yeah, even with his goal last night, like he just looked a confident player as he finished. And earlier in the season, he didn't look like he was as confident. He looked like he was a little bit frazzled and a little bit frenetic. But he does seem to have just calmed himself down a little bit. That's obviously working on the training ground, the manager and the coaching staff, you know, trying to build up his, his, his belief in himself and letting him know, like, we didn't just buy you for this season. We've bought you for the long haul. Um, there's For as long as Haaland is in England, which won't be long, let's be fair, he is going to go to Real Madrid in a couple of years. For as long as Haaland, Haaland is in England, people are going to compare Darwin to Haaland because they arrived in the same summer. And you will get silly people who will tell you, oh, but Haaland was cheaper than Darwin. But he wasn't. He just wasn't. The transfer fee might have been less. But when you factor in everything else, the signing bonus, the money to the agent, the money to the father, the wages, the frankly outrageous bonuses that he's getting on top of his wages Mike Keegan reported he's on about 865 grand a week which I'm sorry no player in the world is is worth that other than one the little Largy at PSG nobody else is worth that kind of money nobody else has done enough to warrant that type of money and I know Mbappe is probably unsimilar and that's why we won't sign him among other reasons, but when you look at the total cost of Erling Haaland to Manchester City, inclusive of everything, if he was to stay for his full five-year contract, you'd be looking at well over $300 of an investment into undeniably a sensational player. But that is ridiculous. And when you factor in that he has a buyout clause in his contract of, I think it's 150 million, he can up and leave at any point after 2024, and you can do nothing to stop him. Darwin might never score as many goals as Haaland, but I would be willing to bet he will score more goals for Liverpool than Haaland will for City, on the basis that he will be at Liverpool an awful lot longer than Haaland will be at City. 
Darwin, we control the faith of. City control Haaland for two seasons. And then it, it's anybody's. It could be PSG who dropped that money. It could be Real. Barca might have 467 more economic levers, potentially selling naming rights to individual seats and things like that. A lot of seats in the new Camp. A lot of seats. So I can understand people saying, oh, you know, we should have bought Haaland instead, but it's not realistic for us to have bought Haaland. We, we, we're never going to pay a player that level of money, give 20 million to his dad for having functioning testicles 20 odd years ago and give 30 million to an agency and 20 million to the player and then pay him 865 grand a week. <laughs> we couldn't do that. Imagine the Russians. The only time we, we would have been getting him is either when he left Salzburg or like very, very early on after joining Dortmund. If we arranged it before all the goals happened, I would have imagined. So it's uh, it's neither here nor there. We've got Darwin and on we go. Um, and even if it wasn't between the Haaland and Mbappe, we've discussed at length that we might have gone for other forwards anyway. But again, it doesn't really matter. And to be fair, in the system change, if this continues over the long term, I would place Darwin higher up my list of um, preferred forwards than I would have done in the 4-3-3, I think, as well. Yeah, because Darwin is more suited to playing in a 2. He plays in a 2 at international level. He's played in a 2 at club level when he was at Benfica. Him and Ramos was largely a 2. Sometimes he played wide left with two strikers up front as well. So... um, I think he can adapt to the three. I just think it would take time. You know, we, we've seen the likes of Fabinho come in having never played in a three and, and have to adapt his game. And I think it will be a similar process to Darwin, uh, for Darwin rather. Um, but I do think a, a two-man front line will get a lot more out of him, be it with Bobby, with Jota, or ideally for me, with Mo. Like, if we had Darwin and Mo starting and then Bobby and Jota coming off the bench or as, you know, the rotation pair, I'm not sure there's many teams that have a better group of strikers than that. Yeah, um, I mean, i said this before. I do think that two forwards or at least playing a lot closer and in tandem will become more of a thing in the Premier League uh, over the coming sort of four or five years just because... Football is always trying to find a way, isn't it? The, the new way of playing, teams find out how to defend against it a bit better and then you have to find another way to get through them. And I think two forwards, again, is a pretty logical next step, to be fair. So, mm. um, a happy and, and look, the, the, the two best teams in England have been doing that, Carl, because if you look at the City team that dominated the league in 1718 and won the title in 1819, you had Sterling... Aguero and Sané, but Sané played way, way deeper and out on the left, and Sterling and Aguero played as a two. Even for us, there was a lot of our best time where Mo played right up alongside Bobby, and Mané would drop out into midfield or out onto the left wing, and you'd get those two-man front pairings. And football is cyclical, we know this. Football will always be cyclical. There's nothing... Like, one of the things that drives me mad is we see managers being credited with, you know, 
creating a new system or creating this or creating that. And all you need to do is go back about 30 years and you'll find the manager who was doing something similar. So they haven't created anything. They've nicked something and just made certain tweaks to it. Like Pep is the is the greatest thief of all time. He's a brilliant manager, but he's not this innovator that people make him out to be. Much of what Pep does is what Cruyff did. Much of what Cruyff did is what Renus Michaels did. Much of what he did was what Gustav Sebes did. You can trace pretty much every tactical innovation back to somebody 50 or 60 years ago. Yes, there'll be tweaks to account for the modern game, but none of this stuff is new. There's only so many ways you can play this game. Yeah, until we're allowed 12 players on the pitch at once, I don't think there's going to be too much actually new stuff. It's just using everything that has changed in the meantime. The different type of ball that we have now, different fitter players, all that kind of stuff is what changes how exactly you do the stuff. But yes, it's all recycled stuff. And you know what I can't wait for, Carl? The sweeper. It's going to come back. <laughs> it will, it will. It's going to come back. Midfielders will. played in between. We saw it last year a little bit at Roma, where when Cristante played in the middle of the three and looked really comfortable there. You know, uh, Bruno Lage. You know Bruno Lage had a little bit of a look at it this season, put Ruben Neves back there, got sacked a couple of days later, but you know, <laughs> there are the highs and lows. <laughs> he went too soon. I think, yeah. I, 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 honestly, I think it's not that much of a stretch to suggest that you know when we've been seeing teams play with defensive lines so high up for example and then obviously teams trying to press them in the middle and counter press them and there's big spaces in behind natural next step to that is going to be to drop somebody who is either really really quick deeper whether that's just one of the center backs or someone from midfield if you lose possession high up is going to drop a little bit between the center backs and a little bit deeper it's not it's not that much of a stretch the more you have sweeper keepers the more you have people who are really trying to squeeze the game and not leave any space between their last defensive line and the ball, it's a natural inclination. There'll be more danger in behind and eventually it just reverses the other way. It's not It's not anything new, like you say. It's just you have to keep finding ways to beat what's already there in front of you and that's just the way it goes. So speaking of beating what's in front of us this weekend, let's let's quickly have a look at the City team and then move on to Liverpool. So that, that, That's an optimistic um, segue into it's the an op- City team. It is a very optimistic segue, but I thought it was a smooth transition. Um, so City, most likely without John Stones, definitely without Calvin Phillips and Kyle Walker. Now, the Stones one is a blow to us because normally when Bobby sees John Stones, he gets very excited and has a particularly good game. But my assumption is that their back four will be Canseo at right back, Diaz, Americ Laporte, who came back in the week, I don't think will be ready to play two games in such a short period of time. So I'm assuming a Kanji keeps his place, and Nathan Aki at left back? Perhaps, or maybe... Um... I mean, we could see a Kanji play right back, and Cancelo stays left back. I think he might. That's that. And then yeah, and then and then Aki in the yes, middle Aki. with. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I think though it'll be those four in some sort yeah. of um, alignment. Midfield, Rodri will play, and I assume Ilkay Gundogan will play because I think he's so important to them. Like I know a lot of people talk about City's midfield and say, "Oh, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Rodri, and Bernardo." 
But both KDB and Bernardo always play better when Gundogan is the other eight. And given they don't have two definite starters in the wide areas, I think he'll play Gundogan in the middle with Rodri, KDB in that kind of semi-10 role. Bernardo off one flank, Foden off the other, and the Cyborg up front. Yeah, that was the the 11 players that I had as well. Um, The only thing is whether I'm still thinking that that is a team which kind of affords a little bit of respect to a big opponent, if you know what I mean, because it's putting Bernardo, who's been a midfielder again for them, back into the forward line. So it's it's not really a solid change. It's not like putting, you know, Cal or Henderson right wing or something like that. But it is still having one less forward for one more build-up player, if you get me. So he could be looking at this Liverpool team and thinking, I, I don't need to do that. This is like playing Southampton again. And actually just keep Silva, Rodri and De Bruyne as the three in the middle and have Foden and one of his other starters. Say, it, yeah, I mean, you can play Riyad Mahrez off the right. Yeah, um, if, he, if he fancies playing with 10 men, he could play Grealish <laughs> on the left. Um, Even the I, will corre- I will correct you, though. Bernardo Silva is a much more solid option on the right than Jordan Henderson because he's much better defensively. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was more referring to the fact that if we played a Henderson right instead of a Salah, that would be an attempt to shore up rather than have a forward in that role. Whether it would work I, or not, it would, be an, it would be an attempt, all right. <laughs> be an attempt at getting yourself fired. Um, right. So let's. We're fairly certain then on on ten of the eleven. I think you're right. It's it's either Gundogan plays midfield, and Bernardo plays wide, which he might do just because he might want to track our left back, knowing that we're going to be relying on the left back to be sort of the outlet in this game with Trent not there. Um, so he might play Bernardo on the right just to track that player, but it could well be Riyad Mahrez or Jack Grealish, or he might play Julian Alvarez and be really obnoxious about it. Because if he goes with a three in midfield and De Bruyne does play sort of a, as a right-sided midfielder rather than the 10, he can do that thing again that he used to do where Alvarez, Haaland, Foden flexes to Alvarez and Haaland through the middle Foden left wing and KDB sort of roaming all over the right-hand side of the pitch. And if he's got a Kanji behind him, I think that gives them solidity there. He's got his options and it's, you know, it it is a squad that affords him um, multiple looks at this game. He, He will spend the next 48 hours just destroying whiteboards, putting together a team. And hopefully he'll do what he generally does and try and be too clever against us. Um, our team then, I think, is is starting to look like it might pick itself in certain areas, but there's obviously still a couple of question marks. The biggest question mark for me, though, Carl, is what shape are we playing? Are we playing 4-2, four, 4-2-3-1, four, four, or are we playing 4-3-3? Three, three? It has to be the same as we have been doing over the last four games now is it something like that so I don't, I don't think that if we were going to be changing against City we would have changed against Rangers as well um, doesn't really seem that it'd be an awful lot of sense to go back to something which was making us so horrendous earlier on in the season yeah, as opposed to something that obviously we've now changed to to try and fix some of those issues 
Um, I think the build-up play and attacking play in general has been a bit better over the last few games. Uh, it, when we're in possession and when we're in the opposition's half, that sort of thing. That's that's not the issue for me right now. That's that's okay. That's sustainably, let's say, top four quality at the moment. But it's the other side of the game where we still have issues. But I think it will be the mm. the same, the double pivot in midfield, and um, that's where it is not not sustainable or top four or indeed anything resembling football. Right. So. Defense, Alice, Allison will be in goal. We know that. Defensively, right. hold, on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to give you two teams here. I'm going to give you the team that I was talking about with partly with you and partly with other people before the Rangers game. And then we'll compare okay. it to what we want since the Rangers game. Because we did this before the Arsenal game. We talked ourselves into Liverpool's marginal improvement, let's say. We did, and then he fucked it by playing <laughs> Henderson in midfield. Before, before the Rangers game <laughs> last night, a lot of people were talking about Liverpool trying to lock down, basically, and, and just stop Man City embarrassing them. That's where Liverpool supporters were. So this would have been something along the lines of Alisson, Van Dijk and Canate, obviously, as the, the triangle. Then it would have been like Robbo, left-back, and Simicas ahead of him on the left. And Gomez, right-back, and, let's say, Henderson or Milner on the right-hand side to try and lock that down. And then Fabinho and Thiago in the middle, and then whichever two you want up front, who are fit, in form, fast, etc., are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. In about what you were looking at. So you, you just named 10 players there and you had yeah. Joe Gomez operating down the right all by himself. I mean, it's a little bit harsh to ask him to do all of that by himself, potentially these, against Foden and Canseo. These things happen against Man City, mate. <laughs> um, I think the back four, yeah, I think I think the, the back four stays the same as what, what you've said. Mm-hmm. Gomez, Canate, Virgil and Robbo. I think that has to be the back four. Costas has had his opportunity now. Yeah, he didn't do well. And he hasn't been impressive. He just hasn't been impressive. Last night, I thought he was, I thought he was poor. Mm. I thought Fashion Sakala ran him ragged, and I thought his delivery and open play was largely fairly poor. The corner that he took for Bobby's first goal was a thing of absolute beauty, but I, I thought in general Costas was quite poor last night. And I know that Robbo has had. A big dip in form. I know that he's not looked like the Robbo of a few years back. But I still think from a defensive point of view, and that's the most important thing here, from a defensive point of view, I think Virgil's happier when he's got Robbo to his left. I think his his pace, his tenacity, his aggression, I think they're really important. And, and the one thing Robbo has always brought to this team is he brings a bit of needle like, Robbo's the type of fella who, when we're having a bit of a rough game, 
Rob will almost go and pick a fight with somebody and wind them up. And I think our players kind of draw from that, like that little bit of fire that Robbo has that often can be key to what we do. I, I really do think Robbo's personality and tenacity and willingness to just go and do something that's a real shithouse move, like shove Kyle Walker into the hoardings or shove Messi in the head and things like that. I do think that our other players see that and think, right, we're, we're fucking up for this. Like, we're up for fucking scrap here. And we can drag out results. So I'd absolutely be going with Robbo at left back. And the fans. I think... Say again? The fans fans get on board with that as well when he does it. Yeah. We will oh, absolutely. The fans, the fans love it. Robbo's probably one of the three most beloved players in the squad because of the story, because of the personality. Like, how would you not like him? Um, I suppose if you're a Rangers fan, you mightn't like him, but fuck them. Um, The double pivot, it has to be Fabinho and Thiago. I'm sorry, it has to be. Henderson and Thiago doesn't work. Henderson and Fabinho doesn't work. Thiago and Fabinho works really, really well. These are the facts of the case. This is not my opinion. We have seen this. We saw those two work as a double pivot for most of last season while the right-sided midfielder went walkies and dominate everybody they came up against. It has to be Fabinho. It has to be Thiago. you think it's going to be? I think it is going to be, yeah. I do think it is going to be. And I'll tell you why in a second, because I think you've actually... No, I'll just tell you now. I think he might play Henderson on the right. Which is both a waste of a shirt and a waste of a spot. But I think that's what he might do. He moved him there against Arsenal to have a look at him. He was fucking awful there. (laughs) But I think he will do it. And I think he'll play him on the right and Jota on the left. Because what that will allow him to do is shift back to a 4-3-3. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I actually can understand the sense of doing it, to be honest, if we can try and narrow the pitch when they're in possession. But whoever plays right mid for us is going to have one of the hardest games of the season. Um, Cancelo has been ludicrous this year so far. Mm. And I think part of that is obviously because City have so many other informed players who are attacking. He just gets a lot of space at the moment. He's not. Even though he's really good on the ball and really good with his delivery and when to move into the space and everything else, but he's not the one in attack, is he? Everyone's so busy trying to stop De Bruyne finding Haaland, and obviously Foden is in outrageous form. Grealish, as I mentioned to you on the last part, I think, against Man United in the first half was exceptional. Like, really, really good. Completely anonymous after half time, but really good in the first half. And the space that Cancelo is getting behind him is just unbelievable. So whoever is that right side for us has to be narrow when City are in possession in midfield because that's where massive, massive gaps keep opening up. But has to be able to get out to Cancelo and stop him coming inside the fullback, stop him linking really quickly with Grealish or Foden or whoever's on the left side of the forward line for them. It's such a difficult job to do. Um, I did say before at the start of the show, I think the, the right and left side for us, in this game especially, but most of the time, 
most important tactical role between on and off the ball, defensive and attacking, because they have to be really good link players. They have to be a goal threat or at least to create openings and being and everything else. But defensively, if you don't do your job in this, it's a stupid system to use. It really is because you'll get out number yeah. three in midfield every single time. And that's why Salah shouldn't be there again. That's part of the reason why, you know, another knock-on of moving Salah. But in any case, it's a very, very difficult role. It will be a big surprise to me, whoever starts there, whether it's Henderson or Elliot or whatever it is, if the wide players aren't changed at some point during the course of the game. Even if that's just Salah moving from centre-forward to wide, Late in the game, depending on how the how the match is panning out, obviously. But those two wide players will get through so much work, or they will have to if we're to stay in the game, uh, that they will have to be changed as well. So you're saying that the wide players need to be defensively disciplined, dynamic, hardworking, and a threat to score or create a goal. I can see where you're Jordan going Henderson with this. Does, Jordan Henderson <laughs> doesn't take any of them boxes bar hard working, and even that work is done very slowly. Um, I ideal work. Let's come back to the wings. Let's come back to the wings for a sec. Let's come back to the wings in a sec. Are we both in agreement that Salah should start through the middle? Hundred percent. I said this before the Rangers game, and that's stupid. And who starts with him? I would be is the question. One hundred percent in this yes. game. It's got to be Firmino. We haven't got enough informed players, confident players to be picking and choosing who starts. Play the ones who are in form. And he, and he generally does well against City. Yeah, and he's hard work. Like he's and got he a good track record the, against All them. the stuff on Rodri as well, which we will need. Yeah, so we're in agreement then on a back four, a double pivot of Fabinho and Thiago, and a front two of Salah and Bobby. Can we agree that Jota will be one of the wings? Yeah. Can I sell you on the idea that Jota should play whichever wing Joe Canseo is playing fullback? That he should be the one tasked with tracking him because he will put in the work. He is dynamic. He can change directions really quickly. He's a pest, a pain in the arse. He will do that work. He's super diligent when tasked with a job like that. He's done it for Portugal. He did it at Wolves. He's done it for us. I know he's not as good on the right as a goal threat, but he's much more of a goal threat than certain other options. And I think he gives you the best balance because Henderson's not good enough defensively. Harvey's not good enough defensively. Harvey does offer the creativity and the attacking force that we want, but the best person, I think, given the players available to deal with Joe Canseo is Diogo Jota. Yeah, I would be in full agreement with that. I would say that I think that this system benefits Elliot from a defensive perspective in that it should be easier for him to do what needs to be done because it is much more about um, you know a smaller area of the pitch and a specific man who he's going to have to stop doing things. See, I, I, I'd agree bit. if it wasn't Canseo, yeah, but yeah, if it was yeah, just a normal fullback. Yeah, and I'm um, just talking about in general... Matches, you know, in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not specifically Man City. I think that the bright side of midfield is, is probably one that you see Elliot playing better overall in because it relies a lot less on a bigger portion of space in transitional play that he has to defend against. But that's just part of being a kid. You know, you have to just accept that anyway, where, wherever you're going to give them a chance and wherever you put them in the team. But for this game, I don't really believe I would be starting him and certainly not against Cancelo. No, neither would I. So, 
I would, yeah, I would say you pick Jota and you just say whichever side Canseo's on, that's the side you play on. You just go and you absolutely harass him. And if you can get him all wound up, get him all wound up because he will react. He's he's just a reactionary player. I thought last night in the second half when Fabio and Harvey realized that they couldn't both come central at the same time, that one of them had to hold the width. I thought they looked really at home in those wide roles. I thought it was the best either have looked since joining the club, frankly, including Harvey's spell on the first team last season. I think he just makes more sense as a wide player. I think Fabio makes more sense as a wide player. But with the thought in mind that Jota might have to play right side and potentially shift across to the left side, if Canseo moves at any point during the game, I don't want Harvey Elliott having to play on the left wing if we're starting Jota and he's starting on our right because Canseo is left back. So for that reason, because I think he's more flexible, I'd start Fabio Carvalho as the other wide player, in part because I don't really see another option. The only other option I could see is Costas. And maybe he goes Costas and Jota as his wide players. Because then Canseo can switch sides and we've got someone that will be really diligent in tracking him. We don't need to move. We can just keep our set as our set. Um, I I personally wouldn't start Cavalli in this one. I I don't think he's there yet. Especially not for a game of this magnitude and the level of... Who is though? Oh... Nobody is in the Like, Milner cannot play in this game. Milner's not starting this one, no. No chance. Not even if we were... No. No. (laughs) Just no. I I, I think it has to be Henderson. It it just does. Um, But why, Carl? Tell me why it has to be Henderson. I I think... Give me me real reasons now. Not not intangible bullshit. Not fucking fabric-shagging nonsense about an armband. (laughs) Give me real reasons... I'm Why starting, he should start this game. I'm not starting Fabio Carvalho in this game because he's not ready to. He's not remotely ready to play in a game like this. Who's in We're better not form? Even, it's not about... Who's in better it's form? It's not about just in better form. Of course form. it's better. No, 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 it's not. It's not. It's absolutely not. I'm not doing this for more than just one game. I would not start Fabio Carvalho in this game because it's going to show him how far away he is. And that's damaging for a young player. I don't care how confident If he's up are. against the Kanji, he's not going to have a tough day. He's not going to be up against the Kanji. He's going to be up against, for 70 minutes of the game, Phil Foden. Trying to stop him coming inside and trying to combine with the Phil Foden's going to play side. left wing. Well, if he plays right wing, then he's not. He's up against him. And if not, it's if he plays. If Carvalho is left side for us, it's De Bruyne in his channel, and he's going to have to try and stop the one twos between him and somebody else. He's going to have to try and make sure that he's tracking the runs. His timing and the weight of the pass okay. at the minute on the ball isn't good enough. Simple so, as that. So Jordan Henderson's going to play left side of midfield. It's less damaging to him. It's less damaging to him. It's more damaging to us. I don't care about the individual, Carl. I care about the team. Well, I care about it's the team more as damaging well, to us as a team. Game. If you play Jordan Henderson on the left, he's A, not going to do his defensive work because he just flat out doesn't do it. And he's B, going to be a complete void if the ball comes to him because he's got no left foot. So your best option then is Costas. If you don't want to play Fabio, you have to play Costas. If Jota's one wing, Costas has to be the opposite wing. Henderson can't play left side of midfield. Let's not fool ourselves. He played left side of a three, and it was an embarrassment. Uh, uh, I don't think Henderson should have been in the team for most of this season. I still think he's going to start in midfield, in this game. 
I wouldn't be putting him there, but I think he will. I don't like. There's there's no logical argument for playing him. I'm sorry, there just isn't. There's just no logical argument. He's he's in awful form. He does not deserve a place in the team. He is a net negative across the board, defensively and when we have the ball. Like, what positivity are you getting from... What does he bring to this team on Sunday that is a positive? There isn't really an answer to it. There isn't. The only other thing you can do is not play him at all and play Firmino in that role and put Darwin up front. But oh, he doesn't. Firmino's I haven't thought of that. Firmino's not going to know that role tactically either. He's not going to always, always track those runs inside. Like I said, I think Henderson's still going to start in the pivot. That's what I think will happen. Instead think, of Fabinho? Yeah, I don't think Fabinho will start this. And let's be honest, Fabinho is a, 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 what less than half of what he's capable of at the minute. He still looks a bit slow. Yeah. He still looks a bit miles off. It's, the three chances that they really had last night all came from runs in behind our centre midfield. And at the minute... That's the only thing that matters because that and playing a just remind me who else who else played yeah, in that yeah, centre midfield last night. It's been Henderson for nearly every single goal. But the point of a double pivot is to play as a partnership, and none of them are at the minute. None of them are. But when Fabinho and Thiago played for twenty-five minutes or whatever fuck it was, it looked like a partnership. It looked like something that will work, and it has proven to work. Yeah. There is no track record of Henderson in a double pivot ever working. Ever. Go back to 1450 when he played in one with Gerrard. It was a shambles. I mean, Beyond that, it, I, it's never worked with Henderson in a pivot. Ever. Club or country, it's never worked with him in a midfield too. Him and John Joe Shelby's about the best partnership he's ever had. That was two games. <laughs> I, and that was the 12-13 season. <laughs> I don't think Henderson has ever been a, a centre mid. He has been a box-to-box and he has been a side-of-the-diamond player and he has been a, a shuttler and all the rest of the stuff. He's not a central sitter. And yet, there were times yesterday when, I'm not really sure what's going on with Fabinho at the minute, but he was like 10, 20 yards ahead of Henderson at many points for part of the game. There was... I don't really know what it is, like a hesitation on the ball or a bit of a lack of sharpness in, in turning and all the rest of it. Fabinho, he doesn't look which, like he can kick the ball properly at the minute. No, he doesn't. He, there's, there's something about his movement at the minute which is not perfect, which is not right. And you I, you and know I mean, the, the clearance he had against Arsenal in the, in the build-up to the penalty among, among the mess, when he tried to clear the ball, he just looked like he kind of put his toe through it. And there was one last night as well where... He kind of picked up the ball in sort of the left-back channel. And you were just begging him to just boot the ball down the pitch. And he doesn't look like he has any any strength or something to kick through the ball. Looks to me like he has, I'm not really sure what, but let's say a restriction in, I don't know, hip movement or something like that. Hip movement or something, yeah. yeah. Because his turning is, it looks at times like a a steamboat turning around in a narrow river. Um, it's, It's not... The big leg stretches for the tackle, the foot in that we usually see from him, even the fouls where he would normally just like run across someone. He's not really doing that at the same I don't know, level of in- aggression or intensity or whatever it is. There's, there's something that's off at the minute with Fabinho's range of movement, let's say, or energy levels or mindset or whatever it is. And I think Henderson will start ahead of him in sentiment against Man City. And to be honest, 
To be honest, even if Fabinho was really, really good form at the minute, it would obviously boost our chances massively. But the rest of the defensive setup of the team has been such that I don't see us keeping Man City out for this game remotely. Like, across no. the course of, let's say, a half-hour spell, we could be well set up and organised and people you know, recycling possession nicely and all the rest of it, and we can have the ball in their half and the rest of it. But that, let's say, 20 minutes that we saw against Arsenal and 30 minutes even, maybe, where we were just scrappy and messy and nobody could get their foot on the ball and nobody could get outside of our penalty area, that's not even going to happen against Man City because they will put the ball in the net before all that stuff happens. They're a, a, a very, very difficult side to watch this season because it's very, very well automated. It's really organised and the players doing the stuff at the final third are just in incredible form. At the it's it's so good, it's actually boring. It's... Like, because there's, there's no doubt of the outcome. Mm. You just, you go into games and as soon as they get a sniff of, of any kind of blood in the water, they're, they're just... Like against United, they they found a weakness early, and just continually rinsed that weakness over and over and over again. And they will do that to us. And obviously, if you have your way, and Henderson starts, um, he that will be the weakness that they will pick at, and they will absolutely torture that fella. And then I'll be on here on Raw blaming you. For the outcome, <laughs> well, that's fine. Um, but do you know, you what? know who the biggest loss for this game is, and you know, we've got I think seven players injured at the minute, and obviously some really important players: Joel, Trent, Naby, Diaz. Obviously, I think probably at the moment the most important. But I think the biggest loss for this game. This is my hot take. I think Ox would have been perfect for this game, and I think this new shape would suit him more than most because we know he's got an enormous capacity for work. He's arguably the best presser we've had under Klopp. I think the under pressure boys would back that up. He's more comfortable in wide areas than he is central, regardless of what he says himself. You can just watch his career. I think if Ox was fit, I think he'd start one of these. I think he'd start this game. Because I think he's exactly what you want to try and shut down someone like Canseo and worry City when we get an opportunity to counter because he's got that pace. Um, I mean, if we're hanging our hopes on that after he's barely played for a couple of years, it's... Oh, uh, yeah, we're fucked. We're looking for anyway. Can I give I, you my alternative 11? Yeah, go for it. Right. So this this is with a simple game plan. Mm. My belief is we're not winning this game anyway. So you might as well leave a bit of an impression. And the plan with this team is that you start with 11, but within the first 10 minutes, you're down to nine. So it's Ali and goal, Gomez right back, Robbo left back, Virgil and Nat Phillips. It's a midfield three. Of Thiago on the right, Fabinho on the left, and James, sorry, Fabinho in the middle, and James Milner on the left. And then whatever front three you want, don't really mind. We're not scoring anyway. And you're sending Nat and James Milner out with the promise of new contracts. 
with the simple instruction that within the first five minutes, Nat is to go through a testicle height on Erling Haaland with every bit of force that he can for two reasons. One, to take him out of the game, and two, to ensure that he does not have any future offspring. Because if the Haaland family chain continues to level up the way it has from Alfie to Erling, the whole world is in trouble. Erling's son is going to just rule the world. He is going to be the global king of everything. And with Milner, you tell him, once Nat's gone off, you go through KDB. He's got dodgy ankles. Just hurl yourself into one of those ankles. Every bit of brick and mortar adding you, just hurl it into him. And if we lose 3-0 with nine men, I'm fine with that. They'll be crippled. They'll win nothing. And I'm okay with it. Conte might win his league title. I can live with that. And we will go down as heroes for having fought off the cyborg and that Belgian bastard who just should be playing for us and isn't. Well, if this is to pan, to pan out exactly as you've said, I hope James Milner has already been to Belgium on holiday because he certainly won't be able to go anymore after that. <laughs> He's never if going he back again. Another international tournament through injury. Oh, can you imagine? It'd be brilliant. James, here's your chance, James. You'll be globally hated. And by globally, we mean just one country. Everyone else will love you still. Um, yeah. I, I have to say, Carl, I think he's going to go 4-3-3. I, I do. I think he's going to go 4-3-3. I think he's going to play Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago together. And Jota... Bobby and Mo as a front three, and he might flex it at some points in the game. So Henderson's playing right wing and Jot is playing left wing. But I think he's going safety blanket in this game, and I think he's going to go 4 3 3. I think that would be a mistake. I do as well. I, I, look, Among the many, many I mistakes think it'll be a huge we could mistake. make in this game, I think it'll be a huge mistake. As I said, I, I would play. Jota and, and Costas, right wing, left wing, and just try and be really hard to beat and try and catch them on a counter with the pace of Jota and Mo. I, I don't think it would work, but that's what I would try and do. Because if we try and go toe-to-toe with them with the way we're playing right now, they will carve us apart. And it'll make what they did to City or to United last week look like a warm-up act. It's a... Uh... It's a concern. Um, there's not really too much we can say. I mean, even if you look at our very best players at the moment, I don't think too many of them are in top, top form. Hopefully, you know, we've been speaking all game long as though Salah is going to play in the forward line. I think it'd be ridiculous to waste the probably confidence boost that he's got and the realisation of how mm. good he is if we put him right wing again in the game where he's going to not have the ball for... 60-65 minutes, I would imagine, of, of, of the match. City are probably going to have, I don't know, 55 to 60% possession during the course of this game anyway. So it's going to be mostly shuttle runs and defensive work for Salah. He's not really going to be in position to do too much in attack too often. In, if he's playing in the forward line, obviously he is a little bit more often. And he's going to be a, an outlet with his pace and everything. And maybe they leave him to go two-on-two sort of two at the back, as they have done quite a lot this season. And if you get... Salah, one-on-one with, let's say, Diaz. 
I, I know who I would pick there to win. Certainly in this oh, season's yeah. form, certainly in pace, certainly in with a big, big, big stretch of space behind them. If Akanji's not centre back, they've not got the most rapid options there. Ake's fairly quick, but he's not. I don't think he's as quick or as strong on the ball as, as Salah is. Um, no. So maybe those are the, like the, the little glints that we have. But even the rest of the team, I mean, Virgil is not playing well. I don't think he played well last night no. again against Rangers at all. Um, Fabinho, we've already mentioned, these are like our defensive kings, basically. If it, if it was not for Allison, we'd have been in even more trouble than we are this season. And he is going to be a busy, busy man, I think, at the weekend. The one thing I do, I do wonder with Virgil, I, I've said this to you before, I think he's managing himself. I think he just wants to get to the World Cup, and I think that's his primary focus at the minute. Because when he played for the Netherlands, he was unbelievably good for two games. Unbelievably good. And he comes back to us, and it's it's not... I, I don't even... I, I just think it's a lack of... Effort's the wrong word, but commitment, maybe? He, like, he just looks like he's holding himself back. He goes into challenges, and he sort of freezes halfway into them. And he didn't used to do that. He used to just go through people. He's not doing that this season. I think he's worried about getting hurt again because he missed the Euros and I don't think he wants to miss the World Cup. He's the captain of that team. And with him, they have an outside shot of winning the competition. I just don't think he wants to pass it up. But, but, I do wonder if Haaland, if the challenge of Haaland might just might just get his competitive juices pumping. Because there are, I think there are two centre-backs in the Premier League who are built to cope with Erling Haaland. Not necessarily stop him, but not get destroyed by him. One is Virgil, and the other is Ibu. Size, strength, pace, aggression. Those two are probably the two best suited anywhere in the league, anywhere in Europe maybe, to deal with this absolute freak. And if Virgil does have a more normal Virgil game, it can have such an incredible knock-on effect on everybody else. Because if Virgil is Virgil, everybody around him is automatically better because he covers for so much. Like, Virgil is the main reason Andy Robertson elevated the way he did. Virgil is the reason Joel Matip went from being in discussions of Who's better, Matip or Lovren, to who's better, Matip or Van Dijk? Virgil elevates whoever he plays with, if he's at his best. When he's not at his best, we see poor form from Robbo, middling form from Joel. I think the midfield suffers as well. I just wonder if, if Haaland would be just enough of a spark for Virgil to... Just show what he is capable of because he showed it for his national team. He was really good in those games for his national team. And he comes back to us and it's just floating through games. Yeah, I mean, a a dangerous ploy to take, to be honest. Um, and it's not easy to mm. just up your form all of a sudden when you want to. And if we're brutally honest, uh, he's not got a manager who's just going to pick people based on what they've done in the past and, and reputation. And if you come into a game like this... Hang on. Hang on. Hang on a second now. Huh? I, I do hope you don't mean Jürgen. No, I'm talking about international level. Oh, Van Hal's never going to drop him, though. Well, no, probably not. But if... Uh, and the main reason he won't drop him is because the other... 
But the other option than Virgil is Matthias De Ligt, who's actually been worse than him this season. <laughs> yeah, well. So he's so he can just keep an eye on De Ligt, and when he has a good game, he's like, right, I better up the level a little bit. <laughs> I better have a 7 out of 10 this week, as well, opposed to the 5s I've been throwing in. I think um, Canate's return yesterday was good, impressive, um, all the things that you'd want to see from him, so hopefully that is a of what's to come from him, because he was in really, really good form prior to the injury, obviously. And uh, God knows we could do with it at the moment. Um, right, we you, we can just you first. Up. You first. Oh God. Um, Virgil's never lost a league game at home for us, ever. So he's not playing this weekend. So he's not. He's going to have a hamstring injury. Milner right and back. And it's going to be in the sense. Milner right back. Oh, uh, you know what? You'd, you'd have to just. Like there before we go to the prediction, Virgil has a hamstring injury and can't play. Do you pick special option A, Milner, Gomez, Matip? No, Milner, Gomez, Canate, Robbo, or special option B, Gomez, Nat, Canate, Robbo? I'm going for secret. Kind of feel like. Just ask for the game to be called off. There is that, Fake yeah. bunch of COVID yeah, we've got, tests. We've got 26 COVID positive, sorry. Um, I'm yeah. going to go for Anate in the centre, Nat to his left, Joe to his right, Robbo left wing back, and whoever the hell you want right wing back, Jota. Jota right wing back, there you go. Jota right wing back for shuttle runs. Yeah, yeah I kind of feel like it. I, I, I kind of feel like Nat... At least just because he's so like so overly aggressive, Nat would Nat would probably put Erling Haaland in this, but he'd probably boot him up in the air after three minutes and glare at him. And Erling would be like, Who the fuck is this fella? <laughs> Where's he come from? He'd win Nat every who? header and he would Cruyff turn his way in between Haaland and De Bruyne. Have you have you ever noticed that when Nat is sitting on the bench, he has he always has a look of like pure divilment on his face, like a really bold face. Like I've snuck onto the bench and no one's realised. I've even got a kit on. This is great crack. Like he just and then when he goes onto the pitch. He's got this like scowl about him. It's he's quite quite the character. Dan Kennett raised him well. Um, prediction. Oh. 3-1 to City. It hurts, but I, I just... If he plays Henderson, I'm, I'm telling you now, we're losing. If he pl- doesn't play him, we might get a draw. How are we going to draw? Because if you don't play Henderson, that's immediately at least one goal conceded ruled out. Because the man has cost us seven goals in the league this season by simply not doing his job and was to blame last night for their goal for having zero awareness of Scott Arfield. Like Scott Arfield, he's a championship player. He was an average championship player and he just rinsed Henderson three different times. Um, <laughs> and Mo, Mo, Mo will score. Mo will score if played central. He will score. He will get an opportunity, and they're not living with him. Diaz can't cope with him. And like you said, while Aki's decent and he is quick enough, he just can't cope with Mo's pace. 
Mo would score if he played central. I'm telling you now, Jurgen. Go Jota, Fab, Thiago and Costas across the midfield. Mo and Bobby up front and you'll get a draw. Play Brian and you lose. I'm just going to say 3-1 City because he's going to play Brian. 5-2. To who? To them. Oh, God. We can't concede five at home. Oh, Lord God. We, um, if we, we, are slightly if we concede five at home. In the way that they did against Man City, uh, sorry, against Man United, then maybe not. But if they just want to be ruthless about this, we have no processes in place to stop them doing what they do. That's the brutal, honest truth. We're not in quite as bad place at the minute, I think, as when we played Napoli, because I think too many people at the club are not yet woken up to what we were. You know, yeah, yeah, percent. Nobody inside seemed to have done so. I think we're a little bit better off than them, but City are better than. I don't care how good Natalie are in attack. That's the, you know they're fantastic. City might be a little less electric, but they're a lot better set up and a lot more consistent, a lot more re- relentless about it, and they have a Haaland. Yes, but Napoli have Kavicha, who might be the greatest footballer to ever live. It's immense. He is so, so, so good. What did they pay for him? 10 million? Yeah, no million year. Oh, Lord. And they're, they're, like, they could put him on the market in January and easily get 75 million from him. Easily. What was he, 21, 22? It's just outrageous. But that's another podcast. Let's stick with the uh, demoralizing weekend defeat for now. 5 2. 5 2. 5 2. You're picking Henderson and. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Matchett, the independence Carl Matchett, picking Jordan Henderson to play in a game against a good team of football, a good football, a good team of football, a good football team, <laughs> and, and suggesting we lose 3 1, which is a little bit more respectable. I know there's only one goal, but when you concede five, like, oh. And the thing is, it's not even an outrageous shout. Like, there's a real chance that that happens. Rangers should have been two up on us last night. The key, Carl, I think is going to be the first 15 minutes. When they only score two like, or three? Basically, yeah. Yeah, if we can limit the damage in the first 15 minutes to two, I, I think we can play them about even for the last 75. Largely because... They'll be like, well, that's it. Game one, these fuckers aren't scoring three against us. Um, if you're offered 3 0 to them right now, do you take it before you know the lineups or anything else? Yes. That's horrendous. I know it is. I know this is what this team has done to me. What do you want? And you're, look what you've done to me on this podcast, suggesting Jordan Henderson on the left side of midfield. Four. I never said that. You did. You were a Jota That's what you to, said. You were a Jota switch to the right hand side, which left the the left side open. But then you, you put, Jota well, even worse. You put Jordan Henderson, Mark, and Joe Cancelo. You want Costa Simica switching over to right wing? What? How is that going to go? No, 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 no. Uh, if Costa starts as the winger, then you just leave the wingers as they are. Because Costas is diligent enough and he's a defender to just track Joe Kinsale. Oh. If Jordan Henderson marks Joe Kinsale, Henderson will spend more time closer to the, the fucking linesman than he will to Joe Kinsale. 
and he'll be finding himself in the centre-forward position endlessly. And he can't cross very well anymore. Used to be able. Used to be a really good cross for the ball. Can't do it anymore. Arsenal play Southampton this weekend, which means Arsenal will beat Southampton this weekend. So at the end of this weekend, they're going to be 17 points ahead of us after 10 games. Now, we know we have a game in hand, but still. That is an abomination. This season, we just need to null and void it. What can we do, Carl? This is your homework for our next podcast, before we preview West Ham. I want you to come up with two, not one, because that would be too easy for you. You've got loads of free time as a big J journalist. I want two random ways that we can get this season called off. Null and void the whole thing. We'll start again in January, and we'll just go from there. I want that's your homework for the next podcast. And Guy, I want you to come up with one as well. You're a busy man, so you only have to come up with one. I'm exceptionally busy, so I won't come up with any. How's that? That's about right. <laughs> this is your punishment. <laughs> this is your punishment. Look what you've done to me. Um right, we will leave it there. Jesus Christ, 5-2. I would take a 3-0. This is horrendous. We won 7-1 last night. And <laughs> it would have been 9-0. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are discussing whether we take 3-0 defeats. Oh, Lord. Thanks for listening live, folks. And I hope you enjoyed it listening afterwards. Um, it will get good again. Uh, it will get good again. It, it's, just, it's just not good now. And we'll leave it there. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.